And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. And by the way, coming up tomorrow, it's the Midday News Wrap. Pamela Wood of the Baltimore Banner and Matt Bush, he's the news director here at WIPR. They will have an update on what bills are moving forward and what's stalled over in the Maryland General Assembly in Annapolis. And plus, theater critic Jay Wynn Russick will review the Oristia new play, a very actually a very old play in a new production at the Chesapeake Shakespeare Company. So that's on the way tomorrow. My next guest today is Allison Colden, the Maryland Executive Director of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. I want to talk about the legislative priorities on the environmental front that the foundation has this year in the General Assembly. Allison Colden joins us on Zoom from Annapolis. Hey, Allison, welcome. Hi, good afternoon, Tom. So what's top of mind for you all in Annapolis? What are you hoping uh, to accomplish? I want to talk about several bills. Um, the first is a watershed pilot program. Tell us what that's about. Yeah, absolutely. So we are working with Senator Elfrith and Delegate Sarah Love on the whole Watershed Act, as it's known. And as you mentioned, Tom, this is a, a pilot program which would establish a, a program for multiple state agencies to coordinate um, and make critical investments in bay restoration in five targeted watersheds across the state. So uh, restoration, obviously, you know, efforts for restoration have been going on for years and years. What what will be different about those these efforts uh, in these pilot programs uh, than you've been doing so far? Yeah, as you've mentioned, bay restoration has been ongoing for several decades. We're coming up now on 40 years of of targeted bay restoration that arose from the first bay watershed agreement in 1983. You know, we kicked this off with a lot of concerns that people were seeing on the water about the Chesapeake Bay, about the struggles that they were seeing with fish kills, with algae blooms and water quality issues. And over the past 40 years, we've had the Chesapeake Bay program, this wonderful federal and state partnership that has been stood up um, and incredible investments from state state agencies and federal partners in bay restoration cleanup. And we've made a lot of progress over the past 40 years. There's no denying that, specifically uh, a lot of progress in the wastewater sector, for example, where there's been a lot of wastewater treatment plants upgraded, which is reducing the nutrients that are reaching the bay, fueling those algae blooms. Uh, but there was a, a really critical and, and important report put out last uh, spring by the Chesapeake Bay Program Science and Technical Advisory Committee called a Comprehensive Evaluation of System Response. And basically, it took a hard look at the past 40 years of bay restoration and what has worked and what has not worked so well. And one of the key lessons and takeaways from that important report is we still have a long ways to go in non-point source pollution. So that's the type of pollution that you can't attribute to a single outfall. You can't see exactly where it's coming from. It's the types of pollutions that comes from stormwater that's sheeting over parking lots and driveways. Uh, It comes from water that runs off of agricultural lands, which we have a lot of in Maryland as well. And so this report has pointed out that there's a need to really uh, look at the type of programs and incentive structures that are in place, uh, which deal with non-point source pollution like stormwater and agricultural runoff, um, and try and make some really critical investments in targeted watersheds where we will have the most bang for the buck. So really what we're hoping to do with this legislation is avoid some of what we are calling random acts of restoration. 
Uh, because these are voluntary programs, they can pop up just wherever there's a willing landowner. But we're more interested in seeing how we can use this pilot program to make sure we're putting the best restoration practices in the right places so that we have uh, the most bang for our restoration dollars at the end of the day. Allison Colden is the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's Maryland Executive Director. If you have a question or comment about the Bay and about what the General Assembly should be doing about the Bay, give us a buzz at 410-662-8780 or email midday at wipr.org. So uh, this uh, pilot program picks the five uh, watersheds that need some serious attention uh, and coordinates, you know, the new ways of doing it. I was interested um, that part of this bill uh, creates uh, a program for licensing people who are restoration practitioners. Um, so have waterway restoration practitioners heretofore been unlicensed? I mean, are they, are they, are they sort of, uh, you know, free agents out there doing what they're doing? Or are, have they been doing work, you know, under the tutelage and under the supervision of the state? So this, the legislation includes licensing, as you mentioned, for those restoration practitioners. And what we have found, Tom, over time is that there are a lot of people doing really great restoration work out, out there. Um, but just as there are in many other industries, many other programs, um, there are some bad projects that we have seen uh, go in where we've, for example, lost a lot of trees or we have ended up with... Um, with situations where streams or other environments end up being a little worse off than they were when we started. And so the the goal of creating this licensing board is to ensure that we all have the same baseline level of, of education, of understanding of restoration best practices, um, an understanding of, of, again, citing those different types of restoration practices in the correct places, and making sure that that everyone has ample understanding of all of the regulatory environment that goes along with it. Uh, Maryland Department of Environment, Maryland Department of Natural Resources. There's a lot of overlap with different agencies and their regulatory um, oversight over this type of work. And so it's making sure that everybody's on the same page and has, has the same baseline level of understanding about how to execute these projects efficiently and effectively. I want to ask you also about industrial sludge turns out Maryland is a very popular destination for industrial sludge, more popular than some of the other surrounding states, Delaware, Virginia, etc. Um, what's going on with that? Why, why is Maryland uh, end up uh, be, why has Maryland ended up uh, being such a popular place for uh, companies that need to dispose of their industrial sludge? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. And uh, just a forewarning for anybody who's enjoying their lunch during our segment today. Um, industrial sludge is about as nasty as it sounds. Um, the industrial sludge that we are concerned about with legislation in this year's General Assembly uh, typically comes from protein rendering plants uh, and a specifically a process known as dissolved air flotation, which is a method by which they they separate this sludge from the wastewater that is produced by the plants. So in a lot of cases, especially on uh, in Maryland and on Maryland's eastern shore, this is things like chicken rendering plants. Um, and it's the leftovers that come from those processes. Um, this sludge uh, is typically used as a soil amendment for nutrients. It's placed on Maryland's farm fields. Um, and in many, many cases, it's used responsibly. Um, and the farmers who are using it 
uh, are using it in a way that does not produce uh, runoff to the Chesapeake Bay that's of concern. It does not produce a nuisance to their neighbors. But as you mentioned, the the use so of let, this let me process, ask you about that. Let me ask you about that because the yeah. the the one of the big problems with this is that this stuff stinks to high heaven. I mean, it really it smells awful. Uh, and there are there are some farms, there are some residents on the eastern shore who are in proximity to where this industrial sludge is uh, contained. It's 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 held rather than being put on farmland as, you know, uh, nutrients. So when it's put on the farmlands, it doesn't smell. I mean, how, how, how is it that it smells when it's in these gigantic storage tanks, but it doesn't smell if it's actually uh, put in the fields? Well, there's some very specific methods that go along with responsible use of, of industrial sludge as a soil conditioner or soil amendment. And typically it's either injected underground or it is uh, turned over and immediately incorporated into the soil same day or next day. But when people are storing this or in what we have seen with the volume of material that is now coming into Maryland increasing dramatically, it's being over applied and mishandled and misused. So there are old manure lagoons that are being repurposed for the storage of this material. There are large storage tanks that are being constructed uh, right now with little or very little oversight on where those are being sited. They're being sited in residential areas near towns and schools um, and have a lot of people really concerned about the, the public health impacts of that as well as the nuisance impacts. You know, we've heard complaints of folks who can't bear to spend time outside in their own communities because of the foul stench that comes off of this material when it's being stored or when it's being over applied and mishandled on the farmland. So um, that also increases the probability that that material is going to run off into the Chesapeake Bay. So if it's being applied in a time of year, for example, like the winter time when those plants are dormant, they're not going to be taking up that material and using it to grow. And so where is it going to go the next time we have a big rainstorm or a snowfall? Um, it's going to go straight into the creeks alongside of that farm or straight into the Chesapeake Bay. So it has for us both a, a public health concern and more importantly, obviously, for Chesapeake Bay Foundation, a, a concern for, for the bay and the bay's health. So there was a study uh, that uh, indicates that our state, Maryland, now is actually a net importer of this dissolved air flotation stuff, this industrial sludge. We, we take in more than we get rid of. Uh, and it does sit in these open air tanks. And, uh, you know, there, there are reports of kids standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus to go to school and they're throwing up because they're here. They're smelling this uh, horrible, horrible stuff. What's different about current Maryland law than surrounding states, which don't seem to have this problem? What kind of regulations do the other places have in place that we don't and we need? Yes. Yeah, so uh, mainly there's a lot of this material coming in from Virginia, coming in from Delaware, coming in from Pennsylvania. States like Delaware and Virginia particularly have regulatory programs which uh, control where this material can go, how much of the material can be moved and applied to farmlands in those states. And because Maryland is currently lacking a similar regulation of this material, um, that's why we're ending up becoming the dumping ground for this sludge regionally. So uh, the study you referred to was done by the University of Maryland last fall, and it determined, you know, in recent years that Maryland had accepted 
or or become the the place where more than 50 percent of this material that was produced region-wide ended up in Maryland because, uh, you know, it's just a lot easier with no regulations on this material in Maryland compared to our neighboring states that the uh, the producers of this material have caught on to that and, and made it, used it to their advantage. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Senator Justin Reedy from Carroll and Frederick Counties and uh, Delegate Sarah Love, who's a Democrat from Montgomery County, have co-sponsored uh, legislation to to try to address some of that uh, that lacks oversight. So we'll see where that ends up at the end of this year's General Assembly. We'll have more with Allison Colden of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation after a quick break. And you are welcome to join us if you have a question or comment. 410-662-8780. Our email midday at wypr.org. But before we go to a break, Each week here on Midday, it's our practice to read the names of people who have lost their lives to violence in Baltimore City and to list their names on the Midday webpage. We do this to stand in witness to their untimely deaths and to remember their families and friends in their hour of grief. So far this year, 30 people have been identified as victims of homicide in our city. Police have identified two people who were killed last week. They are... Darcel Mitchell, age 19, and Amari Williams. He was 20 years old. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, we're talking about issues that are top of mind for one of Maryland's leading environmental advocacy groups, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. My guest is Allison Colden. She's the Maryland Executive Director of the Foundation, and she joins us on Zoom. You are welcome to join us as well. Our number here at midday, 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at WIPR. Dot org. And Allison, uh, to clarify for stuff, uh, for, for, for listeners, uh, some of the designations here, you're the Maryland Executive Director of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. That's because there's also an Executive Director in Virginia. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yes, we actually have state offices in Virginia and Pennsylvania. So I'm, I'm lucky to have some great colleagues, uh, executive directors in those two states as well. Right. So it's a it's a tri-state uh, operation. And, uh, you know, of course, it's been around for decades and, you know, done wonderful work advocating for the Bay. Uh, another thing that you want to accomplish uh, this year in the General Assembly is uh, something to do with living shoreline laws. What's a, a living shoreline? 
a great question. Uh, a living shoreline actually refers to a shoreline stabilization techniques, actually a whole suite of them. Um, there's many different forms that a living shoreline can take, but the goal of a living shoreline is to restore the natural gradient from the land to the water uh, and use natural elements like grasses, underwater grasses, oyster reefs, marsh uh, marshes, in order to protect a shoreline. And the opposite of that uh, is often referred to as an armored shoreline or a hardened shoreline. And that refers to techniques like using seawalls or bulkheads or um, riprap uh, rock revetments, which uh, uh, have a much steeper um, uh, steeper slope to them and uh, incorporate fewer of those natural and living elements. So uh, I understand uh, from some of the information that you've published about this that there's nearly like 2,000 miles uh, of this uh, much less uh, you know, advisable uh, way of, of uh, shoring up the shore, these, these stone things and, and bulkheads and stuff. Um, so it sounds like there's, uh, there are some laws in place saying you shouldn't do that. You should use what you're talking about, the you know, oyster reefs and the underwater grasses and all that business. Um, but, but there are a lot of waivers being granted uh, to various people uh, to do it the, the other way. Um, what's causing that? Why so many waivers? Why, why have they built 2,000 miles worth of uh, what you refer to as armoring? Yeah, so uh, in 2008, Maryland passed the Living Shorelines Law, which made living shorelines the default shoreline stabilization. So if you're a waterfront property owner and you're interested in protecting your shoreline from erosion from either boat wakes or uh, you know, rising sea levels or, or, or other issues, uh, the default for in-state law is a living shoreline. And therefore, if you'd like to put in a bulkhead uh, or a seawall, you would have to apply for a waiver from the state in which they evaluate whether your property has specific challenges. Maybe it's too deep. Maybe the wave energy is too great for a living shoreline um, and it could be overcome by those very high wave energies. And that is the waiver process, which... Uh, which we believe has has continued to drive um, some shoreline armoring. So legislation that, that we are supporting in this year's General Assembly would make a very specific change to that waiver process. And that is right now, if you currently have a bulkhead or a seawall or other hardened shoreline, um, you can go ahead and get an automatic waiver. You don't have to apply for a waiver process if you're going to put a same or similar type of hardened shoreline back in basically replacing like for like. Um, but what we're realizing is a lot of these hardened shorelines, given their uh, useful life, um, probably went in prior to the 2008 law and prior to folks really understanding and knowing a lot about what living shorelines are and how effective they can be. And so uh, the legislation that is being proposed in this year's General Assembly would just say, you know, if you're going to replace a bulkhead or a seawall, um, just go through the similar waiver process as if you were starting from from scratch. There may be an opportunity for a homeowner who may not even know that a living shoreline is an option. And this waiver process and going through the discussion with uh, the Department of the Environment and others will bring to their attention that, that this is an option for them um, and something that they can consider moving forward. I want to ask you about the aquaculture industry here in Maryland. You've got a, 
uh, a bill to uh, to pump up and uh, you know support the aquaculture industry. This is something I've I've talked about this with the Secretary of uh, Agriculture actually uh, here on midday. Um, this is a business that's uh, you know a, a sector that's really taken off, isn't it? Maryland's aquaculture industry has grown tremendously over the last ten years, and that is really thanks to. Uh, some some very large reforms that were made in Maryland state law just over 10 years ago, making sure that uh, some of these piecewise, piecemeal pieces of legislation that had been on the books forever, and we're actually holding that industry back, were reformed. Um, and we have seen tremendous growth in the oyster aquaculture industry, which we are very pleased to support at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. These are private business owners who are paying to put their oysters in the water um, they're making a living, but also the oysters that they're raising are helping to clean up the bay. So it's a win-win. Yeah, oysters are really good chompers of uh, all sorts of stuff that we uh, don't want to have in the bay. Um, in our last minute here, what, what's your take on the state of the bay uh, right now as we speak? So as I mentioned earlier, we have come a tremendous way. We have seen incredible progress um, in the trends. The long-term trends are looking positive, but of course there's so much more we have to do. And looking back at the four, past 40 years of Bay restoration, we have are fortunate to have one of the most well-studied, uh, well-resourced, well-resourced estuaries in the entire United States. We know what we need to do. We know what's in front of us and the challenges that are coming, including the multitude of challenges that climate change is going to bring to our region. But this is an entirely doable, uh, this is an entirely doable task. And if we all come together as a Bay watershed community um, and put our focus, our efforts where they need to be focused and most effective, I think we're going to make great progress. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I very much appreciate your time and uh, your advocacy for the Bay. And we will of course stay on top of uh, what the legislation uh, that you are proposing and supporting uh, is doing uh, in the uh, General Assembly. Uh, they're about halfway through on this year's session, and we'll see what happens uh, as the second half continues. So Allison Colden, the Maryland Executive Director of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. So that's it for us today. And coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk more about the General Assembly, some of the other legislation that is winding its way through the process. Pamela Wood of the Baltimore Banner and Matt Bush, the news director here at WIPR, will join me for the midday news wrap. We'll look behind some of the latest headlines of the big stories from Annapolis and Washington as well. Plus, theater critic Jay Wynn Russick will review a new production of a very, very old play, The Oristaya. It's at the Chesapeake Shakespeare Company here in Baltimore. So that's coming up tomorrow. And coming up now, it's Here and Now. That starts after the news. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being part of our midday community. Thanks for subscribing to our podcast and checking us out on the WYPR app. I appreciate it. Have a great day. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR.